Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to the show. Don't forget, if you miss any part of our broadcast, you can go to our website, thebasketnews.airtime.pro, thebasketnews.airtime.pro, or you can catch it uh, rebroadcast at any of the other online outfits of TuneIn.com, Spotify, uh, Instagram, YouTube, and you name it. I want to bring in my guest. Always good to have him on. He's a syndicated talk show host and political scientist, all-around great guy. He's Dr. Umar J. Leon III. And, Doc, I appreciate you coming on, sir. Hope all is well with you. Hey, man, everything is uh, everything, is everything as, they, uh, as they say. Uh, hey, let me ask you something. Um, sure. I, I, caught, I caught the tail end of uh, the last conversation that you had. Uh, did, was your guest trying to say that the United States was correct in the uh, JCPOA negotiations? Um, I didn't catch it. it what part are you talking about? The um... the, the very end, the, the very end of the conversation um, where he was, he was talking about the difference between the Biden negotiations and, 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 and what Biden was trying to do as it relates to Obama. Yeah. He, he, he was saying not going back in terms of sanctions and, and things of that nature is what he said. Well, can I can I get a minute on that? Sure, absolutely. He's as wrong as the day is long. <laughs> this, this, this is this is so simple. This is this is just so simple. And 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 what that mentality? If I understood what he was saying, and I'll caveat this with: if I misunderstood his point, then I will I will greatly duly apologize. But this is what the mindset of American exceptionalism does to you. Obama didn't enter into an agreement with Iran. The United States did. Obama just happened to be the president of the United States. The agreement was working just fine. All of the weapons inspectors all of the other countries that were involved, everybody was pleased with the, with, with the way that the agreement, the JCPOA, was functioning. Donald Trump, in his ignorance, canceled the deal. Right. All Joe Biden has to do, he could do this on a napkin with his signature. All he has to do is get back in the darn deal. Yep. All of this other stuff that the United States is trying to enforce upon Iran is totally irrelevant. It has absolutely nothing to do with the deal. What has happened to Joe Biden is the Zionist government of Israel is in his ear and is telling him that he needs to operate based upon what is perceived to be the best interest of Israel, not the United States and not the world. That last guy was as wrong as the day is long. Mm. Especially when you look at... um the uh new israel uh 
administration, if you will. And, and mm-hmm. you know, the more things uh, change, the more they stay the same. Hawkish and once, you know, no, no humanitarian um, objective, at least, for the Palestinian people, not the, not the, you know, the, 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 um, administration, but certainly, you know, not giving a darn about the people. Um, and it's always been about, uh, Israel when it comes to us, we've always tried to say we want a two state solution, but really we just want to give Israel everything that they want. Um, and that, so you're right. You're right. And, And, and And let me, let me wrap it up with this. The United States needs to remove its, its, its sanctions on Iran. It needs to remove its sanctions on Cuba. It needs to remove its sanctions on Venezuela. And it needs to remove its sanctions on China. The sanctions regime does not work. It is economic warfare. And uh, I don't know, you, you'd, have to, you'd have to research a hell of a lot of history before you can find an an incident where sanctions brought about the desired result. They don't work. Sanctions do not achieve the desired result. What sanctions do is they actually bolster the government that you're trying to overthrow. Because it's then in, when, the, when the country starts to suffer right. and the people start to suffer, the president or the leader of the country says, it's not me, it's them. And it creates a greater sense of nationalism within the country so that the people that are, that are suffering, they now, it becomes a matter of them versus us. That's right. And, 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 and ultimately, the people get poor and and they go hungry. So yeah, they they are going to say those Americans. We hate Americans. Um, and you're right. It, exactly. Exactly. So I, I, again, I don't know who that dude was, but uh, on that point, homeboy is wrong as the day is long. Professor at uh, Ohio State. He used to work with uh, well, General General Petraeus back in the Iraq War. He's a former. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Well, that that okay. Mm-hmm. Then that explains it. That because what mm-hmm. he was giving you, he was giving you the standard BS U.S. narrative. That's what he. That's that's where that comes from. Man, <laughs> what about? I wish what, I could have been on with him because I'd have whooped his behind. <laughs> oh, oh. Well, you know, Biden, one of the things he said in terms of his global um, stance and in terms of uh, protecting the American people, um, he said, you know, an economic security is national security. He went on to, to talk about how we need to get back to working together with other democracies across the, the, the world and confronting populists, nap, nationalists, demagogues, and and this growing autocratic, which, of course, the previous administration uh, wanted to be, this growing autocratic powers to divide mm-hmm. these democracies. How do you think he's doing on that? Do you really think he's really concerned about that and fighting it globally? 
Man, I, I wish Pastor Williams had not put his hands on me and, and gotten me to change my dialogue because I would cut <laughs> up a storm right now. Uh, Joe Biden is the biggest liar in the world. All of that he laid out is BS. Because if that's what Joe Biden is about, then why is he supporting uh, the overthrow of the democratically elected president of Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Why, Joe Biden? If if you're about, uh, I can, now I can't even remember the dude's name. If if you're if you're about uh, if you're about democracy, then why don't you why don't you allow the results of elections to stand freely? No, Joe. What the people of Venezuela said, apparently, according to you, is not good enough. Um, why, why are you trying to over, why did you just, uh, in the last week, bomb Syria? Because President al-Assad won the election by 95% with over like 70 or 80% of the people voting. Joe Biden is a liar, plain and simple. When he makes that, he, he, he was, he was at the, at, uh, he was in, in Geneva with Putin and, and he says during his press conference, what if the United States were to uh, get involved in other people's elections and the world knew it? Joe, newsflash, the world knows it. You're the only one that, that seems to have not remembered what the United States does <laughs> in Ecuador, in Venezuela, in Bolivia in Chile, in Colombia, in Syria, in Yemen. Uh, Apparently, Joe, you you were napping when all of this stuff was going on. Well, they did call him Sleepy Joe, but, you know, uh, you you talked about Chavez, Guamaduro's in in place, Um, duly elected. And, again, this country – it's, it's Juan Guaido. The, guy, the guy's name is Juan Guaido. Right. Joe, Joe Biden comes out and says, we still support Juan Guaido as the president of Venezuela when the people in Venezuela don't support Juan Guaido. In fact, the party that Juan Guaido represented lost in the um, parliamentary election. So not only... So so not only do they not like Guaido, they don't even like his party. So they want him a door, so, right? Huh? The people? The people? Yeah. That's why he's yeah. still the president. Right. That's why he's still the president. And and so to your audience, folks, please understand something. I'm giving you the facts. This is not my opinion. I'm giving you my opinion is based upon the facts, which unfortunately Rachel Maddow and all them other folks on MSNBC, they don't want to talk about this stuff. But if you do a little reading, this is the reality. I'm not making this stuff up. This is the reality. Yep. You're absolutely right. Um, what do you make, and you talk about hypocrisy, 
Oh. When when you look at the Biden administration hosting uh, Saudi Arabia's uh, powerful, very powerful crown prince, what does that what does that say about the situation in Yemen? Are we siding with the Saudis on this? When they when he rolls out the the red carpet um, uh, for the crown prince to come through, I mean, obviously, you know, we've seen presidents before uh, host. The Saudis and and others, but with with the the clashes in Yemen and and what the slaughter is going on there, what does this say about this administration? Oh, you mean Biden hosting uh, Prince Mohammed Bonesaw? Right from that guy? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I want to be sure we're talking about the same guy. Um, what what this says is that Joe Biden is an imperialist and that Joe Biden is an elitist and that. Everything that Joe Biden says about equality and about human rights and about free and fair elections is garbage. Because you don't judge a man by what he what he says, you judge a man by what he does. So the United States could stop the atrocities in Yemen in less than a week. All if he's going to bring Mohammed Bonesaw over here, all he's got to do is tell him, look, dude, we're not going to provide you logistical information anymore. We're not going to supply air. We're not going to refuel your, your fighters in, in, uh, in flight, and we're not going to maintain your aircraft anymore. We're not going to do that. The war would end in three days. And the United Nations has already declared the atrocities in Yemen to be the worst uh, man-made humanitarian catastrophe in history. That's not me talking. That's the United Nations talking. I'm not making this up. That's what the U. So people have to ask themselves, Why would Joe Biden, as the president of the United States, back a murderous country like Saudi Arabia that is being led by Prince Mohammed Bonesaw, why are we backing them? Why are we selling them hundreds of millions of dollars of weapons that enable them to commit the worst humanitarian, man-made crisis in history? The answer is Raytheon, Boeing, uh, uh, and all the other defense contractors. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. This is about selling weapons. And to your audience, do you, do, you, do you notice it's black people that are on the wrong end of this deal? When you look at the yeah. people of Yemen, they look like you. Right. They look like you. They're not doing this in France. They're not doing this in Sweden. They're not doing this in Australia, maybe to the aborigines. They're not doing this in Austria. They're doing it to black people. Yep. 
and, and and Doc, that brings me to speaking of black people, people of color, the assassination in Haiti, um, oh. total chaos there. How do you see um, that playing out? I know they got the interim prime minister, I believe, in in charge right now to get through the elections. How do you see that playing out? And speaking of which, in, in places of color, what does the Biden administration need to do to assist in this? To assist in what? They're the ones that killed him. Assist in what? The United States is responsible for the plight of Haiti. Mm. There's an article in today's New York Times, I don't recall the title, but there's there's an article and it is one of the worst pieces of garbage written by what is known as the newspaper of record, the New York Times, (laughs) where they talk about all the money that's gone to Haiti and and why Haiti can't seem to get it together and the international uh, funding sources won't turn off the spigot to Haiti because they are using Haiti as a money laundering scheme. I believe, I didn't think this on the front end, but I've had, I've talked to some folks and I've had a day or so to think about this. Um, First of all, uh, Jovenel Moise, the the now dead president of Haiti, he didn't learn the lesson of Manuel Noriega. He didn't learn the lesson of, uh, who's the dude in Iraq? Um, Um... the former president of Iraq that we went in and brutalized. Oh, um, um, Saddam, Saddam Hussein, Saddam Hussein. Mm-hmm. Moise didn't learn the lesson of, of Noriega in Panama. He didn't learn the lesson of, uh, of, uh, Nori, of, uh, the other dude in, in, in you know, the Shires. United States, yeah. no, the United States, uh, uses dictators until they've served their purpose, and then they execute them. That, I mean, history is replete with examples of this. So, so this is what I think happened. I, now, I don't know why the U.S. did this, but there's a there was an there was an internal battle going on within the Haitian elite. So you've got, like, those who are siding with the Clintons, and then you've got those who are siding with other factors and forces. And Jovenel Moise got caught in the middle. So they did to Moise what they did to Aristide. They went in and they told him, look, it's time for you to go. Now, Aristide was smart, and he erred on the side of life. And he said, okay, it's kind of like in The Godfather, where um, where uh, Michael Corleone is telling the story in Godfather 1. He's telling the story to Kate about, uh, he's explaining uh, who Luca Brasi is. And he says, um, oh, and, he, and he's talking about his, uh, uh, the, the Don's God, godson. And he says, you know, okay. there was this band leader that, that, that wouldn't let him out of his contract. So my, father, my dad went to see him, and the guy told him no. And so then my dad went back, but this time he went with Luca Brasi. And my father told him, look, either 
your signature or your brains are going to be on the contract. Mm-hmm. So, so Aristide erred on my signature. I think the crew rolled up on, on Moise and said, look, dude, it's time for you to go. And he said, no, I'm not going. And then they shot him 16 times. Mm. So, uh, so, it's a it's a it's a ugly ugly game, right? And I don't know who who Moise thought he was, and I don't know who he thought he was messing with, but uh, he 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 found out. And and now it's kind of sloppy because they let his wife live, right? Although she took three shots they, not, too, but. <laughs> well, no, not that they let it. Well, here's the thing: you shoot him 16 times, and you walk out of the house, and she's not dead. You all didn't go to Hitman Class 200. You all obviously <laughs> slept through 101, because in Hitman Class 200, you learn no one leaves alive. Yeah. No one. If there's a dog, you shoot the dog. You, if there's a cat, you shoot the cat. You don't leave anybody in there alive. Right. Now, the folks that they say that they caught and they rounded up, that's that's the light work. Those are the, those are the local yokels. This is what happened. The hit team flew in, landed at the airport, got in their cars, went to his crib, knocked on the door, shot him up, got in the car, went back to the airport, they're out of town. Mm. That's how that's how the game works. That's how the game works. Yep. So yeah, it, <laughs> hey man, you know, the United States look, the United States is intentionally destabilizing Haiti. People don't realize Haiti from uh, what a number of geologists will tell you, Haiti is sitting on more oil than Venezuela. And Venezuela is thought to be sitting on the largest oil reserves in the world. There's more oil in Venezuela than there is in Saudi Arabia. And there are geologists who will tell you there's more oil off the coast of Venezuela than there is in, I'm sorry, off the coast of Haiti than there is in Venezuela. There's gold in Haiti. There's timber in Haiti. There are a lot of natural resources on the island of Hispaniola, which is why the Clintons are so involved in Haiti. And Hillary's brother is is part of a Canadian uh, mining conglomerate that is trying to, if they haven't already, gotten their hands on mining interests in Haiti. Doc, um, I did get a question. I have one more before um, I'm done, but I did get a question from from Nick in Stanford uh, who, who asked, um, do you think uh, the – no, he said, I'm sorry, how do you think the infrastructure bill – will look, and is infrastructure a part of national security? 
Infrastructure is a huge part of national security when you talk about the electric grid, when you talk about water systems, and when you talk about the, the highway. In fact, uh, go back and look at why, who designed the national highway system? Dwight Eisenhower. Why? Mm-hmm. Because uh, Dwight Eisenhower, and when you look at the, at the height of bridges and the width of lanes, it all has to do with transporting military equipment across the country. So the height of bridges and the width of lanes all had to do with the size of military vehicles and being sure that you could get military vehicles from point A to point B. So that was the, that was the rationale behind the design of the American highway system. So that's one example of the answer yes to your, to your caller. Now, here's what people need to understand about the infrastructure bill. There are two words in the infrastructure bill that people need to pay attention to. Asset recycling. When you look at the when you, when you when 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 they're asked the question, well, how is all of this going to be paid for since Joe Biden, candidate Joe Biden, told us on the campaign trail that he was going to pay for the infrastructure bill by what? Raising taxes on the wealthy. Well, we knew that was BS, but but he told us that, and and people believed it. Oh, he's going to raise taxes on the wealthy, and he's going to get uh, corporations. He's going to raise the corporate income tax, and he told us all of that. And now, of course, we know Mitch McConnell told him it's not going to happen, and everybody does what Mitch McConnell says. So now, if you look into the uh, infrastructure bill, two words: asset recycling. What does that mean? It's a very nouveau riche way of saying privatization, neoliberalism. They're going to sell a lot of these infrastructure assets to the private sector, which is what they've been trying to do all along anyway. I'm going to say that again. Asset recycling. Look it up. It's in the bill. That's what it means. They're going to sell the asset. Imagine if Nestle bought the Michigan water system. What if they sold the Tennessee Valley Authority electric grid? What if they sold Hoover Dam to to Jeff Bezos? Mm. That's what they're talking about. That's wow. what they're talking about, and wow is right. <laughs> Think about Greece. Think about what happened. What happened with Greece when Greece, with with, with the um, austerity measures that they that they imposed upon Greece. I think I think I got to check this, but I think Greece had to sell the Parthenon to the World Bank. Mm. You hear me, folks? Just to get a flow, Steph. You're right. I remember that. Yep. Greece had to sell an antiquity. They had to sell the Parthenon. Imagine if Italy had to sell the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Think about if the mm-hmm. Vatican had to sell the Vatican. 
And you're right, Doc. We already see privatization in, in schooling, you know, in education, and, and certainly prisons. And some of our, our, some of our well-to-do blacks uh, have, play a part in those prisons, prisons that, of course, are overpopulated by people of color. So if they do it there in terms of selling it off, Right, if you will, then they certainly I can see the Hoover. When you said the Hoover Dam, you think like, wow, <laughs> you know. Think I mean, that. that will be Here's something. One. Here's one. I, I don't know if they have this in North Carolina, and I say this honestly because I don't know. An easy pass. Do you have do, when you when you traverse the roads in North Carolina? Do you have to have an easy pass in your car to get to get access to some roads and? and <laughs> Absolutely. Folks, yep. that's what this is. The, the easy pass is privatization. The road that you need the easy pass on or the bridge that you need the easy pass to cross, in some instances, pr- pr- particularly as it relates to roads, the construction of the road was a joint venture between the state and private interests. And so the private interest is allowed to charge you a fee to traverse the road so that the private interest can get a guaranteed profit from their investment. Guaranteed profit from their investment. Now, conservatives love and capitalists love to talk about the free market system. In a free market system, you don't get a guaranteed profit. But in the world of neoliberalism, the private interest turns to the government, starts performing government function at a profit, a guaranteed minimum profit. Now, on bridges, it can be a different issue. The bridges might just be the toll collection process that the state has now contracted out to the private interest. So the state still owns the bridge, but the toll collection process goes to a private interest. But when you sell your water system or your electric grid to the private sector, who then sets the price for water and electricity? Because the entity that invested in that has to make a profit. If you're just joining us, we got a couple other questions, Doc. But if you're just joining us, we're talking with Dr. Wilbur J. Leon, the third here on the Bachelor News Radio Show. Doc Marcus and Philly um, said, talk about the racial disparities in climate change in in places of color. Um, He said, we always hear about climate change, and we're back in the Paris uh, deal, and 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 climate change in terms of how we uh, use our cars and, and all of this, but they don't talk specifically how uh, it's dis- disproportionately um, negatively impacting uh, places of color when it comes to fixing the climate change or having, uh, you know, poor communities by, you know, factories that put out all that carbon and all those different things. So talk about that. Well, let me say that that is an area that is not, one of the areas that I have that that I, that I specialize in, uh, and so I don't want to take up a lot of time 
trying to figure out an answer to something that is not really in my purview. Mm-hmm. But I will say this, that climate change is the great equalizer because when it's 124 degrees in Phoenix, I don't care what neighborhood you live in in Phoenix, it's 124 degrees. <laughs> when when sea level rises four feet along the coast of Florida, I don't care what neighborhood you live in. You're... Pastor Williams, I'm not going to do that. Your behind is underwater. <laughs> so, so I, I understand. I understand Marcus's question, but honestly, that's not my area of expertise. I will just say that with the melting of the glaciers, with the horrific, intense heat that we're finding now in the West and in the Midwest. And with sea level rise, it's, it's, it's come to Jesus' time, and it's come to Jesus' time for lotty dotty and everybody. Hey, <laughs> you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> that I know. You know, the, the final question oh, but, 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 is a bunch women, of people. Women, 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 women. I'll, I'll, add one, I'll add one more thing. But we do mm-hmm. know that in these situations, people of color are always, disproportionately impacted we know that we know right. that but th- but 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 again i'm not gonna i'm not gonna take any more time on that because that's not my area i know your area is this question it came from a bunch of people including <laughs> myself which is, um you know president biden's announcement today to pull out um troops out from uh, afghanistan by the end of august um two things is this strategically the right move and right move now and also he talked about how well trained the afghan army is the 300,000 that they can you know stand on their feet and do a good thing and all reports i know and heard is that they you know not only are not completely trained but when they're facing the taliban in, in certain cases is what is it 80,000 90,000 taliban maybe more but you know, when they're facing him, that they, you know, they stand down in a lot of ways. They give up their, their, their guns in some cases. So what's your thoughts on the Biden administration move, making this move now and, you know, the Afghan army um, being well-equipped to, uh, to, to fight the Taliban? What did that brilliant African-American philosopher Mike Tyson say? Everybody can fight until they get punched in the face. And so the Afghan army is trained, but everybody can fight until they get punched in the face. The United States has wasted thousands of lives, trillions of dollars, On what? On what? We were there 20 years. We were in Afghanistan 20 years. And we've now got our hind parts whooped the same way we did in Vietnam. For what? So that Raytheon can make more money. So that Boeing can make more money. So that Lockheed Martin can make more money. 
That's what this was all about, the military-industrial complex. If Osama bin Laden, after 9-11, was the one that pulled off that horrific, we could have sent 20 uh, Navy SEALs in there and tracked his behind through Tora Bora and, and hit him with a sniper shot. We didn't have to invade the country. The country wasn't the, wasn't involved in the in the in the atrocity. Right. If if the if the story that we're told is true, and if it was Osama bin Laden, then we just should have gone in there and taken him out. You didn't have to invade the country in order to do that. George Bush, remember, folks. George at the time, George Bush was losing the election. He was his uh his um so his public support numbers were in the toilet right. and it was feared that he would lose the next election and the calculus was the country doesn't turn on a president in wartime so afghanistan became the place to go and now after 20 years and, and a trillion dollars wasted, and thousands of people dead, and, not, and if you start counting Af- Afghanis, hundreds of thousands of people dead. Now we're pulling out. So is it the time to go? The time to go was 20 years ago. Mm. The time to go was never to have gone. That was the time to go. And the Taliban is doing what the Taliban do. Look, folks, Alexander the Great couldn't conquer that region with war elephants. What makes us think that we're smarter than Alexander the Great and we can go? I wrote a piece about this years ago. What makes us think that we're smarter than Alexander the Great and that because you replace war elephants with F-16, that all of a sudden that makes us smarter than him? No. There are certain places in the world, certain places in the world, certain cultures you just don't mess with. Mm-hmm. And you've got historical record to explain to you why. There's a reason that nobody has conquered that region. There's a reason for that. Unfortunately, American arrogance, American hubris, all of these ridiculous ideologies or, or, or philosophies of American exceptionalism and white man's burden and all of that other white supremacist BS that is in the minds of these sick people like Joe Biden and all these other folks, oh, we can just go in there and we can bomb them off the map. Raytheon has not made enough bombs in the history of Raytheon. Obviously. The Russians couldn't do it. Oh, the Russians couldn't do it, but we're going to go in here and do it. Mm. You didn't do it in Vietnam. What makes Especially you when you that? have 
especially if you have kamikazes ready to to, to fly out and, hey, and go to their death, and and you see that with with Al Qaeda and everybody else, uh, and, you know, and the Taliban. And Minister Farrakhan, Minister Farrakhan gave a speech at the Howard Inn right before the United States went into Iraq, and and, and Minister Farrakhan said. He said, you can't win this. He was talking about Iraq, but the same thing applies to Afghanistan. He said, you can't win this with your technology. You can't win this with your technology. He said, you're going to, he said, the first week, the first two weeks, you got this. He said, but eventually, you're going to have to bring your soldiers in here. And when you bring your soldiers in here, you've met your end. He said, because American soldiers don't have the heart that these Muslims have. He said, American soldiers aren't built for that. You, you're in the, he said, you're in the Army. Why? Because you couldn't get a job, and you don't want to sell drugs, and you don't want to be a thief. So you go into the army. He said, you didn't sign up for this. This is not, he says, in fact, in this, now he didn't say this, but this is the point. What's the objective of an American soldier? To come back home the same way they went in. Mm-hmm. That's the objective. I'm going to do my time and then I'm going to get out. That's the objective of an American soldier. You go in there and mess with them Taliban, they are about their business. Minister mm-hmm. said, you ain't, ever, you ain't ever fought a soldier with the heart of a Muslim. He said, you're fighting God in a man. He said, they believe what they're about. You've never come across a soldier that will lay down in front of a tank and blow himself up to blow up the tank. That's not how American soldiers are taught to fight. And, of course, I'm getting some negative feedback on, you know, America's soldiers are the, the greatest in the world and how, how, how dare she he and say that. Got, and, look, look, folks, look, folks, don't get wrapped up in the emotion. Don't get wrapped up in that emotion. I am not talking about the individual person. I am not in any way, shape, or form impugning the character of any of those soldiers. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the missions that those soldiers have been sent on are missions of folly. They are missions of imperialism, and they are running up against forces that they were never prepared to fight. And if I'm wrong, that. why did we lose Vietnam? And if I'm wrong, why did we lose in Afghanistan? Great point. Don't get caught I'm up with in you. that emotion. And and they do. People do. Um, I know they but do. They, they do the research and stuff. You know, before you Thank get caught you. up in those emotions, that's the easiest thing. Uh, you know, prove, prove us wrong. If if that's the, if that's the case, go look it up. I mean, that's that's always the premise of my show. I'm show show. Uh, Sure, with Dr. Leon too. 
Doc, uh, before you go, who do you have on this weekend, if you know, and uh, how people can get the book, sir? Oh, well, let's see. I got Kwaku Lumumba coming on to talk about uh, Haiti. I've got uh, Ruby Sales coming on to talk about why black people got caught up in the Bill Cosby scam. Uh, oh, man, I, we, got, we got some good stuff. I got Dr. Gerald Horn coming to talk about uh, Israel. Uh, got a lot of good stuff coming on 11 to 2 uh, Saturday, Sirius XM 126 Urban View. And the book? Politics and Other Perspectives, Commentary and Analysis on Race, War, Ethics, and the American Political Landscape in the Age of Obama. And if anybody wants to engage me in this conversation about soldiers, bring me back on, man. Bring those people on the line, and let's rap about it. Because don't get caught up in your emotions. Don't don't misunderstand what I'm telling you. Right. They 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 hear something that that uh, they're getting caught up in what you said, but not the message behind it is what absolutely it, they always, we got a lot of people our do. hind parts whooped in Afghanistan. If American soldiers are all that, why are we leaving with our tails between our legs? Why isn't the Taliban vanquished? And don't tell me because we got to spend another twenty years there to get them. Twenty years, please. Good point, Doc. Uh, appreciate you coming <laughs> on, man. We'll get you on next week and actually talk okay, about man. this some more. You got it. I like that, y'all. I like that. Yeah, like I like that, y'all. I like that, like that. I like that.
yelling out If you need a killer me on the MRC With the S-S-double-double-U-D-S-A-B-D Going downtown, let me see If we all in together now, make it move better now Listen, I ain't sweating no competition Flow, going mad low like I'm fishing Another chapter from the Wu-Tang book Take a look at repeat, killer bees never sleep Not stop, put you on the chopping block Unorthodox, attitude the melt the pot I'll do anything I'm showing to you Right here, I'm weak downtown with the weird Who kaboom, yes, who stepped in the room The S-S-double-double-U-D-S-A-B-D
And welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, uh, WCOM in Chapel Hill, IBM TV, Big Mind Entertainment, and of course the Bachelor News Radio Network. We thank you for joining us this time, 646-929-0130, the number to get on the air. Uh, if you have a question, you can dial in there. The chat room is open. And, of course, you can listen live at thebachelornews.airtime.pro, bachelornews.pro. Want to go to my guest. Always good to have him on. It's been a minute. Uh, he is the uh, He's a retired general, general who served under General Petraeus in the Iraq War. He also is the General Raymond E. Mason Jr. Charity, uh, I'm sorry, Chair of Military History at Ohio State University and a frequent media commentator here and other outlets. He's Dr. Peter Mansour. And, Doc, I appreciate you coming on. I hope all is well and hope uh, your family got through uh, COVID um, uh, quite okay. We're doing great, L.A. Thanks for having me on. All of us have our inoculations and uh, actually finished the three-week vacation out west, so enjoying life again. Yeah, it's good to to be able to get out and do some things. Now, wanted to have you come on and talk about the Biden administration um, and sort of give them a grade when you look at um, some of the things they reentered where the previous administrator administration got out of it and some of the things they're trying to uh, do based on his commitments during the campaign. So uh, just before we break down some stuff, what grade would you give him thus far? Um, well, I think it's uh it's a solid a minus uh, at the moment. Um, clearly he has um, acted on his campaign promises to bring America back into the world and re-knit our alliances. Uh, that's probably the, um, the most notable thing that he's done. But now you can see he's starting to act on specifics. Most recently, uh, his press conference today, where he uh, finalized the withdrawal of U.S. forces from Afghanistan. So um, lots to be done, uh, especially in the climate change arena, uh, but um, still a, a pretty good start. I want to go to some specifics that he, he said he um, they worked out um, and it's still on, on the, the White House website, but his agenda. Uh, one of the things he talked about was defending our, our vital interests. Um, he said he'll never hesitate to protect the American people, including when necessary by using force, which is something different. Um, for him at least, uh, and making sure that our military, which is the strongest in the world, is better equipped with um, the necessarily necessary uh, equipment, um, the uh, intelligence, counterintelligence, the, the cyber attack uh, defense, um, but using force being the last resort. What do you think of uh, this philosophy as it relates to protecting us here at home? I actually think it's uh, it's a pretty good philosophy going forward. Uh, we don't want to spend a, a lot of money on legacy military forces that may or may not be um, suitable to the kind of conflicts we're, we're waging in the world today. We're, we are clearly in a strategic uh, competition with China and Russia. Uh, so those are the, the bellwether um, potential adversaries at any rate. 
Um, and you got to have the kind of equipment, the kind of uh, capabilities to deal with the sorts of challenges that they pose, whether it be a potential invasion of Taiwan or uh, cyber attacks emanating from, uh, from Russia uh, or the sort of gray zone warfare you see in Ukraine or the South China Sea at present. You know, he, he said that he believes that economic security is national security, so he wanted to make sure that his foreign policy uh, really catered to the middle class in terms of the competition. And he really didn't say China was uh, a threat in terms of uh, military uh, place, but certainly in, when it comes to um, innovative and, and technological ways, do, do you think that China is our direct competition in that aspect? Oh, absolutely. Every president has realized that economic power equates to military power. Um, it's, it's latent power. Uh, and China is by far the, the second greatest economic engine on the planet, you know, number one being the United States. And regardless of what you hear, we are still uh, the greatest economy on the planet. And actually, I would put my money on the United States for the rest of the 21st century. So that's a different discussion. Um, so, you know, the question is, who's going to lead the uh, innovation of the future? Who's going to lead the uh, rush into 5G? Um, who's going to lead uh, robotics, um, uh, biotechnology? And there's a whole host uh, of uh, emerging technologies that are going to be absolutely crucial to economic wherewithal in the future. And uh, President Biden wants to put money behind uh, the effort to make the United States the leader in that realm. We've, unfortunately, our country has backed off in terms of funding basic research uh, for decades now, and it's time to make the government a partner with private uh, industry and with uh, acad academia to make it uh, an engine of growth going forward. If you're just joining us, we'll talk with Dr. Pete Mansour. Of course, he's a retired colonel and uh, a professor at Ohio State University on the uh, Bassett News radio show. Um, Dr. Mansour, he, he went on to talk about uh, this global action um, where he wants um, democracies, not just us, but democracies across the world to confront the rise of populists and nationalists and demagogues and 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 fight against uh, autocratic powers which seems to be strengthening to you know sort of the divide and and manipulate and isolate democracies and and those those are serious threats to this time um, what do you think he has to do in that regard to me he wasn't really specific in that uh, we'll get to some other agreements but what does he have to do when he talks about fighting against these populists, these nationalists, and these autocratic uh, regimes? I think it's a, it's a good sort of grand strategic organizing principle uh, to group the world's democracies, uh, liberal democracies at any rate, together. And in the 1990s, you could see, for instance, um, with the collapse of the Soviet Union and, and an ascendant United States, that democracy was on the rise and the world was, uh, you know, still challenging, but on the whole more peaceful than it is at present. Uh, unfortunately, that has unraveled in the last 20 years. And so I think what 
uh, President Biden and his team needs to do is re-knit America's alliances with uh, the liberal democracies around the world. And I see them doing that. He, he made a trip to, um, to Europe. He's uh, engaged with South Korea and uh, Japan. Uh, you know, one of the, the real flashpoints with China could be over Taiwan. Well, Taiwan is a liberal democracy that we should embrace. And, um, you know, India would be another example in the in the developing world, uh, Australia and the Pacific region. So there's there's plenty of places that and countries that want to ally with the United States. They just want uh, an administration in Washington uh, that is going to be a, a, a stable ally, one that doesn't uh, simply make transactional promises um, that you know they they saw in the last administration you know one of the things he talked about is climate change it's, it's been you know at the forefront of this campaign and now in this administration and trying to get things done he uh got us back into the paris agreement of course um what else can he do or what else can the, his administration do to lead the fight or to lead the uh the challenges and facing and fighting the challenges of, of climate change and getting everybody on board globally yeah, I, I think this infrastructure bill or sets of bills that are being debated in the halls of Congress right now are going to be really important. Um, whether you call it a Green New Deal or not, putting money behind uh, the sorts of technologies that can help um, eliminate carbon emissions is going to be really important. And, it, and it's a policy aspect as well. So if you want to pay for um, upgrades to green energy, for instance, uh, a great way to do that would be to put a carbon tax, uh, enact a carbon tax on legacy uh, uh, emitters that use uh, hydrocarbons. And uh, this would kill two birds in one stone. It would um, make more money available to green energy, solar, wind, and, you know, all the other uh, various possibilities there. And it would make hydrocarbons more expensive uh, at the margins, which would reduce their use. Uh, then taking this um, globally, um, if, if he enacted, if he were able to enact a, a carbon tax on U.S. industries, um, you could say that um, any nation that didn't do the same thing, we're going to put a tariff on your exports to the United States. Um, and he could do some sort of agreement whereby that carbon tax becomes sort of a global carbon tax, if you will, so that a country can't take advantage of the fact that they're not taxing their carbon and dumping cheap imports into the United States. You know, one of the things he talked about was, um, you know, human rights, making sure we're the leader and, and you know, helping democracies uh, in, in other countries and helping the people uh, both um, in terms of providing for them and, and allowing them to have temporary safe havens if they're in the midst of civil wars or anything like Afghanistan, which I'll get to in just a bit. But one of his biggest detractors, the biggest negatives, if you will, or debates has been migrants at the border coming in. Um, and it seems as though, to me, their policy on it has been kind of all over the place. Um, and it, and I mean, he's not the first president in this regard as well, but 
What do you see in terms of his policy in terms of bringing, allowing people in uh, to this country? Because the numbers are definitely going up. And how, uh, you know, what would you do or advise if you were in his position to advise him? Yeah, this is a really tough issue because on the one hand, we want to be accepting of uh, people who are uh, legitimately leaving their countries because of political strife. And yet we don't want to become the dumping ground for economic migrants, which, uh, you know, quite a few people coming from south of the border are, are coming for economic reasons. Um, so this is going to take uh, several steps. One thing is we're going to have to go to the countries from which these migrants are emigrating, and we're going to have to um, uh, do what we can to assist them in, in stopping the flow. And this may mean uh, helping with governance, helping with their economies, um, perhaps uh, counter-gang or counter-drug uh, policies. And, and uh, there's all sorts of you know, things we're going to have to do to help the countries of, say, Central America um, become vibrant. Uh, you know, Costa Rica would be an example of a, a vibrant democracy down there where a lot of people aren't leaving because they're happy there. And, and that's, that's one thing. The second thing is we're going to have to reform our immigration system. And this is going to be just an enormous lift. And I don't see it happening, quite frankly, um, given the filibuster rules in, in the Senate. But we, ha we have a, a very clunky immigration system. Um, a lot of these people could perhaps be granted green cards rather than uh, be put on a path to citizenship so that if they're coming for economic reasons, they can work here and, and yet return to their countries uh, at some future date. Um, and we need to revise our visa system. A lot of people who remain in the United States simply overstay visas, and we have to track them better. Uh, we need more judges down on the border to uh, try or adjudicate these cases of, of immigrants coming in for um, refugee status. So there's a whole litany of things to do, and I think the Biden administration knows what it needs to do or what could be done, but getting it through Congress is uh, simply an impossible task at this point. Yeah, it seems as though it's, it's, it's a daunting task. Like you said, I, I totally agree with you. And uh, uh, hopefully, um, you know, the Senate will do the right thing. Um, just as, as much as the infrastructure of bill, like you said, as it relates to climate uh, change and, and, you know, they, they really got to get that bill done um, so we can, show how it works and, and, and be able to be at the forefront. Afghanistan, he just announced today, um, now he said this prior to being president, you know, in terms of bringing the troops home, fighting in these endless wars, he calls them, Afghanistan and and other places. Um, you know, he, he, he is committed to bringing the troops home, as you heard today, I think by the end of August, and at the same time, narrowly focusing on um, Al Qaeda and ISIS and 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 other, you know, sort of uh, bad actors out there that want to do harm to us and and others across the board. But is this the right thing, the right thing to do? And will we see more intelligence on the on the ground or more civilians? What do you? How do you think this is going to play out? And, and is this the right time? Is August 31st the right time 
to pull out, especially if you're given a date and, you know, the Taliban is saying, okay, great, we'll wait, wait you out to August 31st. Yeah, the Taliban did that a long time ago. They did that when President Obama directed a surge of forces into Afghanistan in 2009, 2010, and yet gave a timeline for their withdrawal. And they, they knew at that point that the United States was not there in Afghanistan to stay. Um, you know, it's interesting that Secretary of State Colin Powell, uh, back before the Iraq War, talked about the pottery barn rule. If you invade a country and depose its government, now you, you, you own it. In other words, you go to, into pottery barn and you break something, you've bought it. Um, President Biden basically today said, uh, I'm not abiding by that rule. We might have broken it, but we're not going to fix it. We didn't go there to nation build. We went there to, to uh, bring Osama bin Laden to justice and to deny al-Qaeda safe haven. Uh, those um, uh, objectives have been accomplished, and uh, therefore we're leaving. Now, he, he said something, I think, that he didn't mean to say, but he said it anyway. He said, once I made the decision to end the war, and in fact, he didn't make a decision to end the war. He made a decision to end the United States' involvement in the war. The war will go on, and it will get um, uh, pretty bloody. It could lead uh, – well, Afghanistan is in a civil war now. We might as well just admit it. And um, it's going to – the war is going to continue. Um, U.S. involvement will be limited uh, going forward to um, funding the Afghan security forces uh, diplomacy, trying to bring the two sides to some sort of uh, political agreement, and uh, intelligence, um, and maybe occasional strikes against uh, terrorist targets. But uh, this war now firmly belongs to Ashraf Ghani and the Afghan government, and it's uh, questionable whether um, they'll su survive in the long run. In the short run, provided the funding continues, um, I don't see that government falling, much like it took a couple years before the South Vietnamese government fell, um, and it, in the end it only fell once our funding stopped. I think the same thing is um, operative in uh, Afghanistan. Uh, one of the things that he did spend a lot, the president did spend a lot of time talking about today was uh, uh, doing the right thing by the interpreters and others who have worked for the United States uh, right. in the conflict, bringing them uh, perhaps to a third country, but ultimately bringing them to the United States. And this is simply the right thing to do. Uh, we're talking about maybe 30,000 people, even if they bring their families. Um, it's, it's a number that we can easily absorb in our society and economy, and uh, it tells uh, future allies that we'll take care of them if they side with us. So uh, kudos to the president for that. It, just a follow-up, though, he also went on to say that, you know, the – Afghan army, I think 300,000, you know, they're trained and, you know, and, and some of their, their um, armed and Navy forces and all they have the, the type of equipment to stand on their own, essentially, uh, paraphrasing what he said. Um, but there's some questions about that, um, Professor, because you, I'm sure you know. I mean, the Taliban has those bombs and and tanks and, and all of those things, too. And, and we've seen the reports that some of those that part of the army, those Afghans, are they're standing down. They're giving up the equipment, and they're going the other way. Um, so is that accurate? Is that fair? And if, if not, you know, how do they, they fight against the Taliban, not just the Taliban, but all these other groups that are there trying to 
trying to gain, you know, various turfs in that country. So there's a, a lot of different factors that go into military effectiveness, but perhaps the most important are di- discipline, morale, and cohesion. And this is what we saw when ISIS invaded Iraq in 2014. The Iraqi forces were much better equipped uh, than than ISIS, which is driving in pickup trucks with machine guns mounted in the back. You know, that's not much of an army, but uh, the ISIS fighters were willing to fight, and the Iraqi army was not. Um, so I think the same thing is true in Afghanistan. What we're going to see is the Afghan security forces are probably better equipped today than the Taliban. But right now it looks like the Taliban is willing to fight, and it's un- unclear whether the Afghan army uh, will continue um, to fight at the same level they have been with U.S. support. So this, I think, is what will ultimately decide the conflict. If the Afghan people are willing uh, to put their lives on the line to prevent the Taliban takeover, uh, then the war will either stalemate or, or the Afghan government will succeed. If not, then the Taliban will ultimately take over, um, and then we'll see what happens uh, going forward from there. They, they, you know, what kind of uh, government that they inflict on that country. Um, I'm sad to say that there will be a, a lot of Afghans who suffer as a result, mainly the female portion of the population. Yeah. Well, final thought with, um, you know, Israel has this new, you know, government and they've had a couple of hiccups um, already um, there. How does this, this government look in terms of um, the way they deal with the Palestinian a conflict and with this administration because we knew Netanyahu was not a big fan of President Obama. He warmed up to the other guy and now Biden's in place. What what do you see in terms of that relationship? Yeah, it's, it's really unclear. Um, I'm sure Biden would, would support a two-state solution in the, in the Middle East, but I'm not sure a two-state solution is in the offing given the growth of Israeli settlements and um, um, and the way they've treated uh, the Palestinians in in Gaza and the West Bank. I, this is this is what we would call a wicked problem, a problem that can only be managed. It cannot be solved. Uh, neither side, on neither side, I think, is there really the willingness to make the, the sorts of sacrifices that would lead to some sort of political agreement um, that would form uh, the basis for a two-state solution or any kind of solution. Uh, the, Israel doesn't want to, it, you know, it wants the territory, but it doesn't want to admit Palestinians uh, into Israel as citizens because they would obviously form an enormous voting block. Um, it, it doesn't want to give the Palestinians a state uh, because it, you know, wants to continue the, the settlement activity. Well, that basically denies the Palestinians any kind of uh, self-governing uh, authority. They, it denies them what most people on the earth have, which is a nation. Um, so I think the Biden administration will put a lot of effort into solving this issue because I think it sees it the way I see it, which is uh, it's a sinkhole for um, political, uh, you know, for it's a sinkhole for effort. 
with no result. Uh, do you think, uh, final question, that we will go back um, to the Iran uh, nuclear deal uh, since uh, the other guy pulled us out? Uh, you know, I, I think that the Biden administration would like to. The, the problem is, is they are not simply going to turn back time and say, okay, we're going to lift sanctions and reenter the agreement as it was um, inked uh, four or five years ago. They need um, to have some um, some new agreement uh, that would, um, you know, reward the United States for the efforts it's put into uh, trying to fix the agreement, whether it be the, the length of, uh, of the agreement or Iran's behavior around the Middle East. Uh, I, I think right now the two sides are at loggerheads, which is why you see Iran backing a proxy militia activity in Iraq, uh, targeting uh, U.S. forces and our embassy there with uh, rockets. Um, so I think the Biden administration would like to reenter an agreement, but not under the exact same terms as uh, the Obama administration. And therein lies uh, an issue that's uh, I don't think is going to be solved anytime soon. Mm. I, I do agree, and especially since the um, I think it was the uh, Iran prime minister didn't want to meet with uh President Biden. So we'll see how that goes. Dr. Manso, always a pleasure to have you on, sir. Thank you so much. You be safe. Thanks, L.A. Have a great summer. Appreciate you. Greetings and great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe radio broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Oh. 
From the makers of Children's Tylenol, it has only the medicine your child needs to make a stuffy nose simply disappear. If you want to smell a rose, get the stuff out of your nose. If you take a serious body, simply stuffy. Simply stuffy. Use as directed. Now you can increase your yields by using Conklin's Guardian Slow-Release Nitrogen Additive. Guardian holds your nitrogen in the root zone where it's needed over a longer period of time. That, in return, can reduce your nitrogen rates. That saves you money. And whether you want it in a dry or liquid formula, Guardian helps in reducing groundwater contamination, too. So save your money and be a good steward all at the same time by using Conklin's Guardian. Welcome to Emerging Ease, where we will focus on unraveling the difficulties in the midst of our journey and move toward forward progress. This program is not meant to replace any form of therapy, and you are encouraged to seek out a mental health professional if necessary. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another week of Emerging E. I'm your host, Keisha, and uh, you're listening to the Bachelor News Radio Network. Feel free to call 646-929-0130 or send questions to the chat room 
at blogtalkradio.com forward slash LA dash bachelor. Um, also, you can send messages today and throughout the week to emergene at gmail.com. Feel free to join the group. We have a lot of members. Everything is moving forward. So come on in and let's talk. Last week we talked about boundaries. We started talking about boundaries in general. And then I discussed with you all some um, boundaries that were more focused on specific areas in our lives that we all need to address and deal with, okay? So it kind of gives you different ways to um, focus in specifically. Um, I did not get to get to uh, financial boundaries as we kind of, um, the last one we discussed was emotional boundaries. So financial boundaries is very, very important. I know many people uh, will say, well, you know, who doesn't need financial boundaries? However, do we really have them? What, what do we put in place uh, to reinforce those boundaries? Some of us don't even have a budget. That is super, 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 super important. So with financial boundaries, um, you would identify um, what your budget is within whatever means you have. And with that also, you also think about what means you actually have, not the potential earnings. So if you're a person that works on commission, if that commission didn't come, what base pay do you already have? Or what solid income do you have? That's an awesome way to identify ways to alleviate stress. Because if we're living on what we possibly may have in the next week or two, and that doesn't come or it comes late, it throws everything off, and then it brings about distress. Um, with that being said, uh, what do you want, where do you want to be financially? Some of us, and I'm not going to tell my age, but some of us have not even thought about what retirement looks like. When that starts, um, where do you want to be financially for retirement? And then once retirement creeps up on you, because it does, it comes fast and quick, then there's more distress because, well, how am I going to handle living expenses? How am I going to be able to retire and do the things I want to do, whether that's travel or focus on volunteering or whatever else you're looking for? Um, also, what if you have health concerns and you need medication? So kind of just thinking ahead of ahead of yourself financially. What are you planning for in the future? Um, also think about how you face financial difficulties. All of us have at some time, if not currently or possibly in the future, especially with COVID going on, have some financial concerns. It is super, 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 super important to seek out resources. Sometimes churches will have uh, financial responsibility groups. Sometimes uh, there's some in the uh, neighborhood or the area that you live in. Look into those. Seek them out. Search them on, uh, online. Google them. There's all kinds of free, and I reinforce free, uh, resources available to help with financial distress. Um, and usually financial distress, among many of the other stressors um, that we have talked about so far, are very... Um, people will remain very secretive about them until it just kind of all blows out of proportion. 
and then there's actually, you know, very little you can do to kind of reel it back in as easy as it could have been before. So being mindful to, if you need resources, seek them out. Ask, even if you make a post and you say, ask me for a friend. Nobody should be questioning most of this about who you're asking for. Just ask, so then that way there could be some type of assistance given to you. Okay. Um, the other boundary I want to kind of touch on is content boundaries. Content boundaries talks about, well, focuses on um, your internet usage, how wired in and connected you are. Oh, my goodness. Um, some of us, especially when we become stressed or even through the time of COVID, uh, became extremely connected to social media whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, TikTok, oh my gosh, TikTok videos are crazy. So with that, the content that we tune into, even all the different apps that you can watch TV and movies, what all that does is it offers us a distraction, and it should be a temporary one, okay? It offers us a distraction from life. In that distraction from life, it's, oh, if I can watch this comedy or if I can watch this scary movie, but then you're supposed to tune back in. Some of us have difficulty tuning back in and putting limits on ourselves with social uh, connections. So with that content, be mindful of, am I on social media much of my work day, much of my time after work? Um, am I on social media when I get stressed out? So now I'm on there and I end up on Amazon or whatever other shopping site I like or whatever other dating site I may go to. And so therefore I'm searching for connection, which ends up really being a distraction with another person in lieu of dealing with whatever concerns I have and what boundaries I really need to set for myself. So with content uh, boundaries, um, how much do you share also on social media? Some people, you can go on their social media, uh, and I'll just use Facebook as an example. Hopefully my Facebook doesn't end up uh, <laughs> getting reported. Um, but some people, you can go on their Facebook, and you can see their whole life. Uh, and I mean, okay, I woke up, take a picture, post it. I, I ate breakfast, this is what I ate, post it. I drove by Starbucks and got a coffee and post it. I got to work, and here I am sitting at my desk, post it. And it's their whole day, every day, in and out, is posted. That's a lot. That's a lot. Because with people on social media, as we got to see up front, and it was a great example between um, Wendy Williams and Tabitha Brown, um, many people will many people will um, attempt to. Hold on one second. Attempt to um, turn you down and bring you down. So you have to kind of look at what, when I post all of my life, or when I post so much, um, what, is, what is it that's going on? Why am I doing that? And then who has access to me? Um, with those people that have access to you, why do you want them to have that type of access, that much access? Um, just kind of 
know that uh, you can always keep some part of you private. Why do you why do you uh, choose to put all of you out there and to uh, open yourself up to everyone? If you want to share information, awesome. Share it with uh, your close friends, your close family, and um, go on about life like that. Um, what the boundaries? What? Um, how? How has? How has? Excuse me. How has social media impacted the way you see yourself? Are you harder on yourself? Do you feel like, oh, I should uh, be thinner? I should um, go work out more, or I should wear these certain clothes? Only these certain designers. Am I um, wearing the right shoes? Do I have the right hair? Hairstyle. Oftentimes, people, and I, I say people because I've come across uh, several um, that have come to me for counseling that have discussed the impact that they've had of feeling extra pressure to have a certain physical presentation or to um, interact in, at certain uh, uh, vicinities, uh, such as going to a certain restaurants. Oh well, this one keeps getting all the Facebook likes or the uh, the promotion on other sites, so I've got to go there. I've got to be in the same place where others are. I've got to participate in the things that other people are participating in. Kind of, kind of look at that. If you're putting extra pressure, or if your social media is putting extra pressure on you then why not disconnect for a while? And we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit. Um, the social media reinforce excuse-making behavior. Oh, I don't have to be mindful of the words that I use for people. I saw this person on Facebook have a whole entire fight, or I saw this other person have a whole entire argument on social media. I don't have to be mindful of the way I interact with others. Well, we really do at all times. We have to always be mindful because in being mindful, we we have to realize anything that comes out of us is something that we'd be willing to receive back, okay? That's, that's a little shot of wisdom. That's a secret, y'all. Don't tell nobody I told you. If you put it out there, just know you should be able and willing to accept it back at some point in your life. If you don't think that thing you're considering putting out there is something you would want back, don't put it out there. Don't put it out there. Not saying that you won't experience it, because you can't possibly experience it, but don't allow yourself to put yourself in a cycle that you already know you will not uh, want to be in or one that you won't enjoy. Um, the social media entice you to increase your purchases. If we if we all know about social media, and just in case you don't, I'm going to give you a brief, brief, brief uh, rundown about it. Social media works on algorithms, okay? The whole Internet works on algorithms. Whatever you look at the longest, it says, oh, you like this? Well, let me show you something else that looks like this. Whatever you click on, oh, you clicked on that? Let's see if you'll click on this, and it'll keep, keep you going, keep you going, keep you going. It doesn't ever say, you know what? You've been on this site shopping four times this week, and you spent four hundred some odd dollars on these things that you probably won't use. They'll probably end up in a closet somewhere. So we're gonna, you know, slow you down. 
It's never going to do that. It always encourages you to do more, buy more, look more, uh, consider more. So look at uh, look at what is social media doing to you, for you, and how are you responding to it? Okay. Um, with that being said, let's go ahead and uh, take a brief break. I want to thank you for tuning in to Emerging Eve with Keisha. Uh, that's me, your host, on the Bachelor News Network. Your mother-in-law just dropped in. It's dinner time, and she looks hungry. Time for a quick dinner. Think fast. Think eggs, like an omelet with tomatoes and cheese. Quick, easy, delicious. So, she loves dinner, compliments your creativity, and finally admits you're not a shameless social climber who stole her baby boy away. All thanks to the incredible edible egg. For other quick dinner, lunch, and snack ideas, visit AEB.org. The incredible edible egg. The American Egg Board. All right, welcome back to Emerging Ease with Keisha on the Back for News Network. Remember, if you have any questions, feel free to call in to 469-229-0130 or send uh, questions to the chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash LA-bachelor, um, or you can send them to emergingease at gmail.com. Make sure you uh, join the Facebook group, which is under the name of Emerging Needs as well. Um, when we were previously uh, talking, we were talking about boundaries. And the last one we talked about was uh, content boundaries. So with establishing uh, what is the purpose of boundary setting? The purpose of boundary setting is uh, to establish personal safety, okay, personal safety. It's so, so important. Now, personal safety comes on many different levels. There's spiritual safety, mental safety, emotional safety, and then physical safety. What boundaries do uh, spiritually is it helps you get to whatever spiritual ease you need for wherever you are in your life, Okay. If you are seeking out um, spiritual guidance, now I'm not talking about religion. I'm just talking about uh, spiritual ease, wherever you want to be. Uh, looks like I have a question from Sonia in Detroit. Uh, social media ruined her relationship with her man. I'm sorry about that, Sonia. He would wake up and go straight to Facebook while I would go to Scripture for my devotion. That is another uh, thing to look at is how does social media tear up relationships? That's actually one of the um, topics that I have written down to kind of address in the future. But while we're on it, Sonia, um, if social media is taking us away from our family, from the people that love us, from our significant others, we have to wonder why. What's going us? We already know about the algorithm. The algorithm, mind you, does not know you. So it only knows what you look at. So it's not ever going to say, hey, such and such. You know, so social media, go hang out with the kids. Hey, go hang out with your wife. Go hang out with your girlfriend. Go hang out with your husband. Go hang out with your boyfriend. Go hang out with your friend. Go find somebody to hang out with. It's never going to tell you that. So that is a very big consideration how uh, that that need for that boundary needs to be established. Um 
So I'm going to go back to spiritual boundaries. Spiritual boundaries also would entail if you are in um, a spiritual place that's a negative spiritual place, identifying what you need to do for you to change where you're at. Whether that means um, identifying as a specific religious uh, affiliation, whether that means locating a new group to, to fellowship with, whether that means taking personal time and meditating, whatever that spiritual is, that needs to be addressed within you, do so. Um, Mentally, mental boundaries. How much of your mental um, strain is affecting you? Because you know if you're mentally stressed out, it's going to physically and emotionally and spiritually uh, impact you, okay? So if your mind is going a million miles an hour, that's why a lot of us may feel anxiety, Because our minds don't stop moving. They're just going, 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 going. And then the next thing you find out is that, you know, golly, I'm stressed out. I I got anxiety. Um, I'm having panic attacks. It's because you never challenge yourself to turn your brain off. As I tell people, clients uh, all the time, just let yourself be. Just go and take a seat in whatever your favorite place is. And just be. Now, when I say just be, that means enjoy the environment. It's something called grounding. So what grounding does is while you're wherever you are, you you sit and start to identify the, the things around you. What, the, what am I smelling? Like, for instance, if you decide to go sit at the, at the lake, what am I smelling? What does the breeze feel like against my skin? Am I sitting on the grass? What does the grass feel like? Am I sitting in a chair? What does the chair feel like? What's the pressure like against my legs, against my arm, against my back? Um, what do I hear? Okay. Um, if you're drinking something, kind of close your eyes and, and revel, for lack of a better word, in the taste of it. What, what are the different flavors that are in what you're drinking or what you're eating? It, what that does is it causes you to tune in on several different levels and allow your mind to just be. Because after you've tuned into all of that, then decide which sense you want to kind of be in to relax. So if it is, I just kind of want to focus on what I'm hearing. Lay back, close your eyes, and just focus and relax. Let your And then whenever a troubling thought like, oh, my gosh, I got 27 reports to do by next week, I got blah, 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 by tomorrow, Instead of focusing on that, we as people have to recognize all that stuff will come, all that stuff will go. There will always be another due date. If you are not in a healthy place mentally, um, then what's the purpose of running to go do the next task? Because you never will get a mental break. You have to schedule those in, honestly. Schedule them in. Schedule some time either in the afternoon or in the morning, whatever is best for you, schedule some time in for a mental break. I encourage people also, before you go to bed, do something like that. Don't sit up and watch the news right before you go to bed. Unless you haven't realized, <laughs> the news has not been a happy place for the last mm, year and a half. So why, why would you want to go to bed watching the news, stressed out about, oh, my goodness, what am I going to wake up and see tomorrow? Find something to listen to. Um, some people have told me they listen to uh, instrumental jazz. 
some people listen to like uh, the little sound boxes. It's a lot of things that you can listen to. All right, so Jonathan in the chat room said he stopped dating uh, for now because he keeps meeting women who think they can invade his space and boundaries just because they are dating. I am glad, Jonathan, that you put yourself on pause. That is so, so, so healthy. So healthy. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for that. The reason I say that is because sometimes the want to be in a relationship takes away from the need. And I said need or want. We'll talk about that in a second. The, the need to be in a better place, okay, for self. Not necessarily for somebody else, but for self. Because if you're in a better, more whole place for self, then you will begin to attract those that need to be in your circle that will be a positive for you. Especially since um, it seems though um, maybe, Jonathan, consider what limits you want to put on dating relationships, what boundaries, I should say, you want to put on dating relationships. For instance, if it's, hey, every Tuesday I go bowling by myself or with friends, and that's just the standing date. We've always agreed until uh, from now until forever. We'll always do that. No significant others or spouses come. And so until we change that, it's me and my friends. Or if you need personal time, because we all do, hey, every Wednesday from 5 p.m. to Thursday at 5 p.m., that's my personal time. I, you know, I don't like to answer my phone. I'm not going to respond to text messages. I just kind of I, I need to use that time to focus on me, uh, get my thoughts together, get my work week together, whatever it is. Determine which boundaries you need to start implementing up front. So then that way, when you do decide to reenter the uh, dating pool, um, you'll be in a healthier space and you'll be better able to let people know what your boundaries are. So then even if it is that your significant other says, well, hey, let's go do blah, 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 blah. If it's on those two times and you have not chosen to change those, remember I said chosen to change those, then that's a hard boundary. And it's okay to have hard boundaries. In relationships, and I don't I would love to find out where this myth came from. In relationships, many people uh, believe that, oh, well, once I'm in a, uh, a dating relationship or once I'm married or once we've been together whatever amount of time, I can't tell that person no, or I can't have a boundary, or I can't have personal time. Where does that say so? You need that. You're still an individual. Even once you get married, you still need personal time. Because I know good and well, my husband and I will get on each other's last nerve if we saw each other 24-7. I know it. Love him. He's cute and everything. But oh, no. Uh-uh. You've got, you're still a person. You're still a person. You still need to do things that edify you as a person as well. So make sure you consider that. So in um, establishing, uh, setting boundaries, we need to look at, decide what the boundary needs to address, okay? Decide what you need to limit or what, what limits you have. What, what, uh, what are your ground rules? Um, identify why you need the boundary. Now, mind you, earlier I spoke about need and want. So it's, it's a need to have boundaries in all areas of our life so that we do not become overwhelmed or overfocused on any specific area. 
So why is this boundary necessary for you? If it's that, hey, if I go hang out with people, I can only hang out with four people at a time because I feel overwhelmed when it's more than those that amount. That's what you need. Say so. It's okay. It's okay. Say that. I need this for me. And it's okay to put yourself first. Um, Monique says she is a single black mom that works two jobs, and when she is off, she struggles to spend time with her two kids and her time alone. Uh, she said uh, she's asking for tips on setting solid boundaries without hurting their feelings. Okay. So, Monique, you would need to kind of consider or look at the time that you spend away from home and the time that you spend at home. I was working two jobs. That's a tight schedule and more power to you. That is a very tight schedule. Um, so with your kids, it's kind of going to be based on their age. Because if they're younger children, they are going to have absolutely no understanding of, hey, mommy needs to go sit down by herself and just, you know, relax. Um, with younger children, you can give them certain times. Uh, especially since you have two. So on your off day, I don't know how often your off days come around or how your schedule is, but give each child individual time with you. Uh, and then do a time together. So let's say um, first child you do, okay, one is eight and one is ten. So with this eight-year-old, say, hey, if you and mommy today, we are, we're going to hang out. And not all day, because we have to be mindful, it's not all day, because you have two jobs and you still got to do something for yourself and sleep and take a shower every now and again. So with the eight-year-old, say, hey, this is your hour or two hours. I don't, if you're close to a city, an hour may be sufficient. This is your two hours. It's you and mommy together, okay? And do that one-on-one -on -one time. With the 10-year-old, same thing. Hey, this is your time specifically with mom, two hours, Okay. So that's four hours right there. And then do probably another two hours in the week at some point um, or every other week because I don't know how your schedule is. Um, for his family time, you and the eight-year-old as well as the 10-year-old, but regardless of what you do, schedule an hour per day for you. You may have to break it up into 30 minutes here, 30 minutes there. Heck, 15 minutes, four different times a day. But make sure you get your hour in. And in that hour, find things for you that fulfill you. So if you like to read, read something. If you go and sit outside or go sit somewhere and you do the grounding that I talked about earlier, do that, okay? Do that. All right, you all. It has been awesome, awesome, awesome today. Um, next week we'll be talking about family and friends boundaries as well as forgiveness, because that feeds into or connects with boundaries. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I hope that today's discussion has been and will continue to be helpful in, uh, to you and in your life's journey. Uh, make sure you go on the Facebook group, Emerging Ease, um, and you have been listening to Emerging Ease with Keisha on the Bachelor Radio Network. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you for taking such a time as this to participate in your personal improvement with Emerging Ease. I'm Keisha, your host. Remember that in everything, there's an opportunity to learn and grow. 
If you are experiencing a difficult time, please reach out to the National Crisis Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. And I look forward to hearing from you next week on Emerging Ease with Keisha.